It's that time of the week again where for 45 minutes you can switch off, forget your troubles and listen to a group of Welsh guys talk about films they used to watch growing up as kids. And this week it's no different. We go in a little bit later in films and we go into the late 90s. It's Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Myself, Andrew, is joined by James Progodage, a.k.a. Prog, in this episode, and we think back to that moment where we watched the film for the first time. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, or simply just Austin Powers, is a 1997 spy comedy film directed by Jay Roach. Starring Michael Myers as the lead character, Austin Powers, and his arch-nemesis, Dr. Evil. Austin Powers is a world-class playboy and part-time secret agent from the 1960s. He emerges 30 years after being cryogenically frozen to battle with his arch-nemesis, Dr. Evil. The film also stars Elizabeth Hurley, Michael York and Robert Wagner, to name just a few big stars within the film. So without further ado, here are our thoughts on the film. So this week we we decided to do Austin Powers again. It's um it's a film that's a little bit later than what we would normally do. It's what was this eighty no ninety seven? Would you say that's right? Yeah, ninety seven. Um, and I can't remember who picked it. It may have been you a pick, but if it was, fantastic pick. <laughs> well, I picked it for a specific reason because we often talk about the first time we watch the film. Uh, and me and you happen to watch it for the first time together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, and I remember when you, well, a couple of weeks ago when you suggested it, and we had the conversation at the time. And again, my memory is shit. Um, and you had to correct me on <laughs> when it was. But yeah, it was ultimately me, you, and another friend, Matthew. Um, I'm assuming it would have been a Friday or a Saturday night watching it in your house. Yeah. So my parents had gone away for the weekend. Our intention was to go out on the town. We were only 16 at the time, but uh, yeah, we were we were going out for a few drinks. And I think for some reason, it was a particularly quiet night. And one of us said, shall we sack this off and just grab a film from Blockbuster? Blockbuster video is still around then. Um, so we decided to go to Blockbuster, get a film. We grabbed Austin Powers and went back to my house to watch it. And we, um, me and you stayed up and laughed our heads off, and uh, Matthew fell asleep. Oh, did he? <laughs> See, yeah. th- this is why you're on the podcast because my memory's shocking for these type of things. But um, I, I do, I do remember watching it. I remember us three, you know, watching it in your living room, and at the time thinking, "This is this is brilliant." Mm. It was brilliant, and it was at a time when everything British. Seemed to be quite cool at the time. It was definitely during that sort of cool Britannia um, sort of phase within the nineties. You know, you had Britpop and everything, and it's probably one of the first, uh, definitely one of the first Hollywood movies I remember with a real British theme. And you know, excluding James Bond and all of that, it, it just felt like something a little bit different. Yeah, I think when normally. You- when there's uh, a pastiche or a spoof of a certain genre, I find sometimes that the creators of that so-called spoof, they are taking the piss a little bit out of the genre. But I, what I really liked about Austin Powers even back then was that I thought it was more of a love letter to the James Bond films and to, quote-unquote, 
Britain, as it were. I, and I think that's held up as well. Yeah, well, at the time, Mike Myers, um, well, who wrote it, obviously, and stars in it, um, he was a big, huge fan of all the old sort of like English films, you know, um, whether it be Bond. Um, he was, um, and all of this was introduced to him by his father, who had passed away a couple of years before, I think. Um, and he had introduced him to the Beatles, things like the um, the Goodies, uh, Peter Sellers, Peter Cook, um, Dudley Moore, and and that's what he says. It, it is a bit of a love letter to them that um, you know he was introduced to these by his dad. He absolutely loved them, and when his father passed away. I can't remember how long after it, but he had this idea of wanting to do it, and his wife said, "Just bloody do it." And I think he wrote the the script. I don't know if it was the the full script or anything, but he, he did a a big chunk of the writing within about a two or three week period after that. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, which yeah, and I think it, it sort of showed. And for me, and I don't mind talking about it now, quite early on. It's the better of the three for me. And maybe it's because I remember seeing it when it first came out and it felt quite original. Um, and you know, don't get me wrong, Mike Myers was known for, at the time, Wayne's World. You mm. know, probably another big film and one that we should probably do at some point. But I would say, for me, th- this this is bigger than Wayne's World, for me personally. I think it's proved to be more successful than Wayne's World because he's gone on to make three films in total. It's interesting you said that um, you think this is the better of the three films, considering we watched number two about 50 times in one year <laughs> during university. But maybe it's because it's been diluted too much. Um, yeah. but maybe I need to revisit number two as well, though. I'm but, sure um, we'll do that at some point. Yeah, yeah. I, I kept thinking, right, do you know um, the, the scene with, with Will Ferrell? Yeah. And he um, he gets, obviously... Um, put into the the fire, whatever, and you and you hear him obviously supposedly dying. Um, I was then expecting the scene for him to come where he, um, he's in the shagwa. Yeah, yeah, sh- yeah. And um, but that's in number two, and I, and straight away I was thinking, oh, actually, I'm I'm probably getting quite a lot of this mixed up within the first two. Yeah, the first two are quite similar, I think. Uh, yeah, they fo- I think they follow us um a set pattern. Of events or or the plot is to to say it differently, the plot is very similar. But uh, I, I prefer number two, but I still think number one is a good comedy. Oh, it is brilliant. I and I tell you why, right? And I'll, I'll go into this is my favourite aspect of the film. And you know me, I I'm not a huge, I suppose, comedy fan. Where I'll go back and I'll watch them again and again because I have this idea that. Comedy is quite of a period and it can be quite dated at a times, right? At times, sorry. And this film, there are gags in it which are dated, but there's a lot of gags in it that still hold well today. And the gags come quite quickly. There's not many sort of, and we talk about sort of like dull periods or down periods. There's not many, I don't think, within this film. It's the flow of the film is, is quite good, I personally think, anyway. Yeah, I I did find some sections of it dragged, but only because I wasn't finding the comedy funny at those particular moments. And I think that's just something that happens in any comedy that you're rewatching. 
especially when you know what's coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've spoken about this when we did space balls. I know. I'm sure. It's, well, it sounds like at the moment that we we both have uh, the same opinion of this film, and that it differs a lot from our rewatching of space balls. But you're going to get it in any comedy. Unfortunately, once you've watched a comedy once, you know what's coming more or less. So the jokes don't land as hard. But I do think that that's when you can tell when a comedy is really good if you rewatch it and you're still laughing a lot yeah. or finding things funny. I, I, and you're right, especially with sort of visual gags, you know, and you, you know they're going to come. I think what really benefited my watching of it this time is I haven't seen it for years and years and years. Yeah. So things happen and it was more of a case of, oh, I forgot they did that. Or I forgot they said that. And the, the one of the big things, and this is my other favorite aspect of the film is the soundtrack. The music in it is brilliant throughout. Yeah. And it started, right. And I just thought I'd forgotten how, yeah, how well the the music is put together in this. Yeah, I I'm gonna jump off the back of you and say that my favorite aspect is the soundtrack, and I'm not talking about the songs that they picked, like the Burt Bacharach selections and so on. I'm talking about you know the opening sequence where Austin Powers is dancing down the street. Yeah, I I think that is one of the I think that's one of the great opening scenes to a film. Because it just sets the tone. You know exactly what you're in for. It's not taking itself too seriously. It's you. They're saying we're here to have fun, and you, I, all the way through the scene, you just well, I know I was anyway. I was just smiling just yeah, because yeah. of the stuff that's going on. Like you no, know, particularly. There's a moment where the police officer goes to stand by Austin Powers, and you think he's going to stop him, and he just can't. He just joins in with the dancing, and you're like, right, this is. I know where this is going. <laughs> The bit that got me right more that, and I thought actually, yeah, th- th- this film is going to make me laugh. And I can't remember if it's during that opening scene, but it's quite early on in the film where he's walking through, I think, the casino, and he's like, "Hey, there you are. Do I know you? No, but you're there. There you are." And I just, I just remember again, I sort of spouting those sort of lines when we were younger, and. And just enjoying it, and and that's what th- this film is definitely about: is just enjoying that aspect of it. I think it's got another element that lends itself to um, rewatchability as well, or certainly um, being remembered by fans of comedy. Is that there's a lot of dialogue that you will repeat with your mates. Yeah, I get that, and that's why we love sort of eighties films. Yeah. It's definitely for those one-liners. But I, again, I think this lends itself well to that sort of aspect, but does it very, very well. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. So w- with regards to um, the favourite aspect, is there anything else apart from the music? Oh, well, I mean, it, it'd be remiss not to talk about Mike Myers. I mean, he's obviously a very talented comedy actor and turns out he's a very good creator of characters as well. I know there's uh, a bit of hoopla about where Dr. Evil came from. You know, I think uh, his partner in Wayne's World, Dana Carvey, says that... He stole him, didn't he, from him? Well, it's certainly the voice anyway. But, I mean, 
Well, it's it's not just the voice; it's the pinky. Ah, oh, okay, right. So, so um, I I actually watched an interview recently about it when he was on um the Howard Stern show, and and Howard asked him about this, and he said, look, it is yes at the time. I was annoyed that I felt um, Mike Myers stole my um, impression of Lorne Michaels, who is the guy behind Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, and, I, and he says himself, he said, it probably went on a little bit too much. I was probably a little bit too stubborn. We fell out a little bit about it, but everything is, is fine about it now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's just interesting because... You saw that film, or that um, you saw another film. What's it called? Um, Wayne's World. You saw yeah. you saw them both in Wayne's World, and they were on Saturday Night Live together as well. And you didn't really see them much after that, so they obviously did have some sort of falling. I wouldn't mind betting Dana Carvey. It was more a case of frustration that he didn't take advantage of that impression himself. Like he didn't think to himself, "I should do a character here based on this." Where he's thinking, I'm just doing Lorne Michaels, Mike Myers, who coincidentally didn't actually want to play Dr. Evil at the start. When he's playing Dr. Evil, he's probably like, he's riffing, so he's probably thinking, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to add this to the character, this, that, and the other. And it turns out the pinky and the, right, you know, the impression of Lorne Michaels. You know, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it, with comedy? If someone gets there before you, you're left ruining the fact that you didn't take the opportunity when you could have. Exactly. And, you know, these guys know as well as anyone, right, from the Saturday Night Live stuff, that how quickly you can lose out on, on a role or a, an impression or something. So, yeah. you know, I, and I think the interview that I saw with, with, um, with him definitely suggested, look, I was probably a little bit bitter back then, it's water under the bridge now. It doesn't. Yeah, really I think matter. there's 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 obviously some stories that Mike Myers, when he was at his height, was difficult to work with. Whether that's with everyone, you don't know, do you? I mean, you hear a couple of stories, and then you, you know, people just associate. So, say you hear one story about this person being difficult, you just think they're always difficult. This pro- that's probably not the case, but I wouldn't mind betting when Mike Myers is at the height of his fame, you know, he gets a bit. It's understandable that people get lost. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and people are probably telling him, "Oh, you're amazing! You've just created Wayne's World, which was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. You've now done Austin Powers. You know, you went on, you went on to do three Austin Powers. You went on to do however many Shreks and things. And I tell you, all right, one of my my favorite film with him in, yeah, is Studio Fifty Four. That's a good film, yeah. Oh, it's an amazing film. I'll tell you another one we should watch again as well is uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer. I haven't seen that in years. Yeah. And I, I remember that being quite funny as well. You think about that, what was it, 10 years that Mike Myers had when he was on Saturday Night Live. He's doing Wayne's World. He's doing Austin Powers. He's doing Shrek. Yeah. I know like there's other people around that time who are massive in comedy, but... I'd struggle to think of anyone who's bigger or more successful than Mike Myers at that point. Yeah, he, he was absolutely huge. And, you know, going back to things like Wayne's World, another one of those sort of films where I just remember us talking about it as kids, you know, teenagers growing up, quoting it, 
you know, things. It's because of that movie, The Bohemian Rhapsody, had a bloody never run in the charts and things. You know, all of a sudden, it's it, it's just yeah, it, it what the impact that it has on society. I thought was mm. was unbelievable. But again, this for me that the impression that this film had on us, I I, I think is is quite big. Yeah. And yeah, and thinking about it now. I, I'm just yeah thinking about the 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 second film. I'm just thinking about all the different scenes in there, all the different again the music and that is bloody brilliant as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, I'd be honest with you, I'm disappointed with number three, but um, surprising. There's, there's some funny stuff in number three, but yeah. it just doesn't hold together, does it? It's I, not... I, yeah, gold member it himself, but you know it's a different story for a different day. But you know this had a budget of sixteen and a half million dollars and then it returned 67 and 68 million dollars yeah in the box office which on the face of it for a lot of films that would be you know seen as you know good return you know almost what's that four and a half times its its budget but it the good thing about this film is it laid the foundation for what was to come because do you know what happened with the second film no that was 30 million budget and it took over three hundred million. Yeah, and and that's what I've read that the first one wasn't deemed to be a success or as successful, but the next two were massive. They, the th- I think what people need to realise as well, though, right? Yeah, I think we've become very accustomed these days to hearing about the billion-dollar box office with a lot of the big films. Any film that makes a profit in its original theatrical run is a successful film. Because, yes, the studios are looking to strike gold with the one or two pictures that will hopefully finance the rest of the the films that they're doing. I'm not sure if that's technically the same these days. I think they're all sort of looking for their franchises, so to speak. But, you know, Austin Powers, to my mind, especially given that it's quite a high-budget comedy, you know, sixty million for a comedy is quite a lot. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, we've got to remember, this is twenty years ago. Yeah. So you know, it's it's it, it's. I don't know if you know this, but did this come out after the second Wayne's World? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He did the both. He did the two Wayne's Worlds before this. Because the second Wayne's World, I think, fell slightly, didn't it? It wasn't as. Well, in my mind, anyway, it wasn't as successful as the first one. I could be totally wrong on that. But, well, no, um, I, I think Wayne's World 2, it was a success. But it wasn't... Well, it certainly took some money, but I don't know. I can't, I can't remember now. Sorry. No, I put you on the spot there. Sorry. And I don't know why you should uh, know that. <laughs> um, interesting that you say earlier, you made a comment about Mike Myers didn't want to play... Um, Dr. Evil, he, he didn't anticipate being the two um, roles. Um, he did say the 30 to 40 percent of the script was sort of improvised, yeah, on, at the time. Which, um, if that is the case, you know, hats off to them then because they, they made a bloody good film from it. I, th- uh, I think, as well, though, when it comes to comedy, you have to allow that, especially with the people they're working with, you know. Again, going back to their Saturday Night Live roots, the the way that they had to churn out 
those predictions and also have to turn around something quite funny in a very short period of time, um, you, you can't expect them, I think, then to go into something like a film and not be able to sort of mix it up a bit. Because what 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 tends to happen with comedy is that they'll write the script, and of course, when they're writing the script, they're writing what they believe will be funny when they're acting it out. But sometimes, certainly with dialogue, when you're saying it aloud and you're and you're acting off other people, it, it might fall flat. So that's why you have to improvise. That's why you have to change it up on the spot. And then again, going back to Doctor Doctor Evil character, um, originally Mike Myers wanted Jim Carrey to play it. That would have been interesting. Yeah, because oh, well, he was doing um, Liar Liar at the time, so he couldn't. But yeah. I I think one of the aspects that potentially draws you to the film, I think, is the fact that Mike Myers plays two lead roles. And yeah. I I think it's just an interesting concept. I think it helps the film insofar as, because Mike Myers is the creator and, so, you know, the, the writer, so to speak. I think because it's, it's Dr. Evil and, and Austin Powers are the two main roles. They are the, the centrepiece of this film. I think it helps that he's playing both of them in so much as he can rely on himself to deliver something in a moment of crisis, as we talk about, if dialogue is falling flat, if a scene's not working, he's already in the middle of it. He knows what's gone before, so he can just sort of spitball with just, you know, in his own head or with some of the other actors. I, I don't think we've said enough about the other actors, to be honest. But Well, yeah. let, let's start then. Elizabeth Hurley, because I remember watching this as a young boy thinking... Oh my God, she's beautiful! But might be one of the best looking women ever. Even to this day, and I don't know what you know. Well, we're twenty years later, twenty twenty odd years later, twenty four five years later, and she's still such an attractive woman. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We should be talking about her acting skills, but when someone is that beautiful, you can't help but comment on it. You know, I. And it's not like we're going to go and PC here and uh, and start saying other stuff. But yeah, I just I'm just flat out going to say she is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. She's actually really good in this as well. So for there's not, I don't know, I I couldn't reel out uh, many Elizabeth Hurley films. I'll be honest with you, there's there's not many I'm aware of. Right? There's um, another I'm, one that I watched a few times when I was growing up when I was in my first relationship. Um, was it bedazzled? Where... Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I generally didn't think you were going to say yes then, right? But that's the only other film I can think of that she's in. Well, you think about it, it's Brendan Fraser for her, Elizabeth Hurley for me. You know, the girl you see in says, says oh, should we watch Bedazzled? And in your head, you're like, I'll watch that. Elizabeth Hurley's in it. <laughs> uh, she plays the devil, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Been a while since I watched that one. I want to point out one particular actor though. Yep. And it's Mindy Sterling. Is she Frau Farbettina? Right. <laughs> and she's in all of them, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. But when yeah. she does her 
when she does her commands and she starts off on a decent level and then she just shouts at the end, <laughs> it gets me all the time. Ah, uh, but also, right? She looks no different. It's like thirty years later, she looks yeah. exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, great, man. Yeah, it is. I look and if we just touch on the other um, cast just briefly as well, right? You got Michael York. Who's a brilliant actor? You got um, yeah. Robert Vaughn. No, not Robert Vaughn. What's his name? Robert um, Wagner. Yeah, Wagner plays um, number two. Um, even as far as going, um, oh, Mimi Rogers, who plays Mrs. Kendington, yeah. who's um, Liz Hurley's mum. You know, again, very, very attractive lady at the uh, you know at the beginning of the film. Um, but it, it's well put together, I think, and yeah. even Seth Green. I know yeah. he plays this really annoying sort of teenager and things, but some of the scenes he is in, especially the um, the therapist scene, when they're in group therapy. That's my favourite scene. But go on, and we may as well talk yeah, about yeah. it, because I've got it down as potentially one of mine as well. I love that scene. I find that so funny. <laughs> when they go on to the, um, he's trying to kill me, and they're all laughing and joking, and then Dr. Evil's like, no, he's quite astute. He's like his old man. I am trying to kill him. And then Dr. Evil has that monologue about his upbringing. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And when they, they, they literally just ask him, don't they, something like, um, well, tell us that you were thought or tell us about, about you, about whatever. And he just spouts for the next three or four minutes. It's brilliant. When he's talking about shamed scrotums being breathtaking, <laughs> I, think it's, I, don't, I think it's more his delivery, though, because he's doing it in the Dr. Evil voice. Well, obviously, the dialogue itself is good, but I think the, the, the delivery as Dr. Evil makes it even better. But. And I'll hold my hand up here, right? I didn't realise, and I probably did realise, but I've forgotten, um, the therapist is Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah. How did that um, sort of slip me by? Or how did I forget that? She, she does. Oh, well, I, I forgot it before we were re-watching it. Oh, while we're on about sort of like, yeah, people like that, characters, whatever. Again, doing my research, I didn't realise, but Demi Moore is an executive producer on this. And not just this film, but all three Austin Powers films. I didn't know that either until I rewatched it today. Um, and again, only because it came up on the cred- opening credits, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so, on that scene as well, I, it's one It's one of my favourites. It's, it's probably right up there. But I had so many options to to pick and I sometimes I couldn't pick a scene it was more about the gag involved so the one thing when I was younger I used to like really crack me up was this is me in a nutshell that yeah, one yeah uh, yeah I used to think that was absolutely brilliant I I love the fact um when he goes ladies and gentlemen Mr Burt Batarak but I I think I prefer the one in number two Better when he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Burt Batrack and Mr. Elvis Costello, or the other way around. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, um, and that scene I think is better in number two than it is in number one. The the call to the wife of the henchman, I quite like that scene as well, where the henchman's just been run over by a steamroller, and then she gets called, and then. She has to explain to um, her son, who's the guy's stepson, that he's not coming home. Yeah, 
That's good, that, yeah. <laughs> the fact that he's like, no, for about 10 minutes as he's coming towards him. I mean, if we're talking about little comedy moments, then I also want to point out the 50-point turn that he does in the the little cart. <laughs> and that, right, um, every now and again, I'll pull that gif out and I'll, uh, I'll send it to various people on WhatsApp yeah. or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's... It, <laughs> It's simple, simple humour, but so effective. So, so effective. Um, But ultimately, my favourite scene is the fembot scene. I'm glad you chose that one because I wanted to talk about that as well. The dancing is shocking. How does that work? The the music is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, yeah, from a comedy point of view, it's... It's everything that shouldn't be sexy, but, you know, it just makes you laugh out loud. And the the best thing about that scene for me, anyway, is the fact that he's, like, vaporised all the fembots. He's still dancing, though. <laughs> and then Elizabeth Early runs past. <laughs> and she does, like, a double take, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like he's so in the zone that he doesn't realise that he's just destroyed all the fembots. Yeah, the, um, the song is I Touch Myself, isn't it? Brilliant yeah, yeah. song, absolutely brilliant song. I want to I bring up one more thing. Oh, sorry, are you going to carry on with that scene? No, no. No, just want to bring up one more thing, and I still say it to this day, Austin Powers piss. <laughs> Evacuation come. Evacuation yeah. come. <laughs> Do you know when you go for a pee, and it's like <laughs> you're so long having a pee, I automatically in my head think uh, this is an Austin Powers pee. <laughs> yeah. Or if I happen to overhear someone in the toilet or say you like you're standing next to someone in the urinals in a pub or something and they're going for ages and you're like registering it, you're like, that's an Austin Powers piss. <laughs> it is strange how those little things just like fall into like yeah, yeah. normal culture, whatever. Um, I have got one more honourable mention. I just checked my notes. And it's the scene with Christian Slater. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's not because it's the you know it's an amazing scene. I think one, it's Christian Slater, and all of a sudden he just appears out of nowhere. And some people might not actually get this because it was a UK-only scene and it was a deleted scene for the rest of the world. Mm. Supposedly, I don't think this is true, um, but it's a scene where he goes. He says, "Oh, go across the road and get me some orange sherbet." And again, <laughs> it, it was just yeah. one of those things that I I would quote, you know, when we were you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, or whatever. <laughs> and then if we go on to gags, right? And I won't mention any, you know much more, right? But do you know, there's the running gag throughout that he's obviously from the nineteen. 19- well, he's from 1967, so he knows the, um, the 60s very well. He's he's in the, the future, he's outdated, blah, blah, blah. And he does the line where he says, I can't believe Liberace was gay. Women yeah. loved that man. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't remember that being in there, or I probably didn't appreciate that when I was 17, probably because I, at the time, probably didn't know who Liberace was. Yeah. Um, but there was a couple of those gags that I probably got now more as an adult than uh, you know a teenager, let's put it that way. When he's watching the moon landing, though, and he's like, ah. He's, like, putting his hands up, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, we've probably waxed lyrical about the, the good things. 
Any one of the bad things for you? Uh, I I don't like that he gets together with Elizabeth early. Yes, and also right because I totally totally forgot about this. Totally totally forgot. And the film ended, and I was just like, whoa 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 whoa, what's going on here? He got married. Yeah. And I totally forgot about that because it it doesn't lend itself then to the sequels and and probably at the time we didn't know sequels were going to happen and it was probably okay but how do they explain that in number two then? Well, in number two, she's a robot, isn't she? Ah, oh, see, this is my memory is shocking. Yeah, in number two, the first five minutes they're still in that hotel room, but it turns out that she's a plant. She's a, like a fembot. Uh, does her face come off? Yeah. Ah, right, okay, yeah. I think I've got some vague memory of it now. Yeah. And that then allows Austin Powers to get off with Felicity Shagwell. Who is another beautiful woman. Let's put it that <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. <sighs> but, yeah, I just don't like how that relationship plays out. It's, I just think... I, I get it, man. It's, it's a comedy. You're not supposed to think about it that much. But... You know, at one point, she, she, she tells him at one point, I wouldn't sleep with you if you were the last person on earth and we had to do it for procreation sort of reasons or whatever. I, I, I get that part of it is putting up, putting up a front because when he's on the rotating bed in his aeroplane... <laughs> do I make you horny? <laughs> yeah. And she's sat down facing away from him. If you look at her, she's sort of smirking to herself because she finds him funny. Yeah. So I get I get that she doesn't find him a complete arsehole. But my problem with it, even though it's a comedy and it's meant to be going quickly and you're not meant to think about it too much, my problem is is that she seems to get hammered one night and she suddenly wants him. And then he goes off and sleeps with the Italian bird and she's jealous because... She's saying, if you want me, you can't sleep with anyone else. And it's like, hang on a minute, no. He's single, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, at that point, nothing has happened. No. If anything, he turned her down because she was too drunk. And I I, I quite like the, the, the notion that Austin Powers has some sort of self-control because he didn't do anything while she was drunk, yeah? I like that aspect. And I, I like the fact that she's possibly more endeared to him because of that. But they don't sort of say any of that. It's just the next scene, he's banged the Italian woman and he doesn't think anything of it because he's from the 60s, but she has a turn. I just, I think as to follow up on their relationship, I do find her character a little sort of underwritten. But then again, you know, it's comedy. It's 90 minutes. I mean... I'm not expecting that much depth. I, there's not many changes I would make, right? And the, the actual note that I've got written down here is there are probably loads that you could change from a PC point of view, right? Because, we, like I said, we're 20 years later. There's probably some things you cannot say now and there's some things that have moved on. But... The film is of its time. The jokes are definitely of their time, but a lot of them still work. And I think if you chuck it, chuck some of those PC stuff things out, you take away the essence of the film. I, I, I'm going to push back on you a little bit, only a little bit. I get where you're coming from. I do think some of the humour today is misplaced, but 
I think you could get away with the majority of the humour because his character is from the 60s. Yeah, no. And, and that's what I was going to get to, because you've got, in theory, three timelines here. You've got our current timeline and our, our period. You've got the 90s and then the 60s. And, and unfortunately, progressively different in their stance on, especially sex and that, that sort of um, aspect. Yeah, I, th- I think you could still have the Austin Powers character act the same way. It's just the responses to the way he's acting would be different. Yeah. So it'd be more a case of someone saying, you can't really do that now. <laughs> so it'd, it'd be what you would have is Austin Powers possibly learning to act differently around women. You know, he wouldn't be jumping them on a rotating bed in an aeroplane. <laughs> But you're right, you know, it's ultimately it's a comedy as well. Yeah. And phew, there's a lot of dark humour out there anyway. You only gotta watch something like Family Guy or American Dad or anything. And some of the things that they get away with is unbelievable. And do you know this film was almost gonna be an R rating or an 18 rating? Why? Because of the two scenes where they're naked. Oh do you know that where where they're placing objects in front of Either their breasts or their penises or any, you know, yeah. penis or whatever. Um, anyway, I don't know if that was going to be in the UK, but definitely in the um, in the US, it was going to be an R rating, and they had to change and cut some of those scenes, which I, I think is horrendous. Nothing is shown. No, I know. That was the point of the scenes. It's meant to be suggestive. <laughs> Those scenes as well, right? So literally, Mike Myers and Liz Hurley and whatever, however many cast members, literally locked themselves away in a, the hotel room, and they were both naked, apart from um, red sticky tape over their um, their rude bits. Yeah. Um, and they it, they took them twenty five takes to get it right because obviously every time they would step out, they're supposed to have to put a new mark on the floor to then mm-hmm. hold. I don't know. Oh, I, I can imagine the, um, the one Elizabeth Hurley's holding the magnifying glass and she's spinning <laughs> in her fingers. How many times would she have had to do that? Yeah. I, I, I do wonder, right, if, if you saw that, like, I don't know, in the cinema and on IMAX, <laughs> whether you'd be able to see anything. Yeah, that's true, Why? Right? Yeah, so, yeah, for me, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change much, I don't think. Take it for what it is. Um, maybe, yes, if you were to make it today, you'd make it slightly different and change the humour slightly. But I think, yeah, leave it as it is. It's a very good film anyway. Yeah, I I think you... When we, you know, when you look, go too deep into the, the politics or the PC nature of films back in the day, I think you're just opening up a can of worms and, you know... I think you've just got to take them for what they are, unfortunately, for good and bad. Yeah. One thing I didn't realise. So, do you know the scene with Dr. Evil and he's saying the things that he would do to the world? And they were like, oh, you can't do that. That's already happened. Right. And one of them was that he would blackmail the royal family to saying that Prince Charles had had an affair. Yeah. Five days before the theatrical release of this film, 
Princess Diana died. Really? So they took out that scene or that element of the scene. I think the scene was still in there um, for the theatrical release and they put it back in for the DVD release or the you, video release. Or are, we, are we talking just in the UK? Um, yes, in the UK, because this came out in September, on, yeah, beginning of September 97. Yeah, because it came out early in America, didn't it? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it, it, for the theatrical release, it was taken out, but then restored in time for the home video release. Mm. Okay. Which, I, interesting, um, yeah, pub quiz knowledge, I think. Yeah. I was just about to go on to recommend, but there's one other thing, and this is my shocking memory again. I didn't realise Rob Lowe was in this film because he's, num- he's in the second and third one as number two, but a younger version. Yeah. But he's in this film on a, um, a bachelor party. Yeah, but it's a deleted scene, isn't it? Well, the version that I saw, it wasn't a deleted scene, but I had never seen that scene before. I'm pretty sure I hadn't. Yeah, I don't think in the original UK version, Rob Lowe was in the film. And I do, I do like that they got that sort of like cameo from, re- you know, relatively well-known people. Christian Slater, Carrie Fisher, Rob Lowe. Tom Arnold as the Texan in the toilet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who does number two work for? Uh, all right, then. Would you recommend it? Yeah, ultimately I would. Yeah, I w- but... Part of me does think it's all this time. And we, we come back to this all the time, don't we? And I, th- I think it's just comedy. It's, it's the genre. Yeah. I think, you know, they, they probably work very well at the time. But I, I think I still would recommend it to, I don't know. Would I, would I sit down with my kids and watch it? No, because they're too young. I think the difference between this and something like Spaceballs, which we've done before, is that Spaceballs was very reference-heavy to things that were going on at the time. Yeah. I think Austin Powers, while it does have some references to events, the current events, or events that were going on in the 90s, a lot of it is character-driven or dialogue-driven comedy so i think that's why i don't think it's aged as badly as other comedies or certain comedies but i still do think it's dated somewhat yeah it'd be interesting if we ever do a comedy and you know, and i mean a comedy like this not like a um a rom-com or any you know a more light-hearted one i mean one with actual gags in it whether we'll actually find one which we think hasn't dated and it's 20 or 30 years later. Oh, well, I know one right now cool. that I still find hilarious, and that's Team America. Ah, see, I never liked it to begin with. Okay, fair enough. Fair but enough. Um, but like, you know, I get that as well. I, I, but again, in 10 years' time, will people still find that funny? Because I think that's quite of, of, of its time as regards to its references. I think certain aspects of Team America is of its time, yes. But I think the overall humour is such that I think it goes past the events that is sort of centred around. Maybe, maybe it's one to revisit. Yeah. We definitely need to do another spoof one, I reckon. Yeah, but again, I think we've we've touched on this 
before, like as spoof films are so difficult to revisit and not enjoy as such, but to recommend. Yeah, and and that's it. I I don't know. Yeah, whether we can recommend, but it'd be interesting to see if something like Naked Gun. Or, I think you know what I think that's a good shout. Actually, that might be one of those films that's so of its time that it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I would recommend, um, but then maybe I've got my rose tinted glasses on because I love a little bit of nostalgia. Um, I wouldn't. I'm on the fence. I'm on uh, the fence for this one. And I, I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, let's call it a day. Um, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on social media. New podcasts are out every Wednesday. If there's a particular film you want to see us do in the future, let us know and get in touch via social media. Thanks all.